This is the Timepieces History Podcast, brought to you by Gudrun Lorette, the expert in using modern marketing methods for the traditional heritage sector. Each bite-sized show shares the story of a place, person or object from the past in around 10 minutes. And now, here's today's show. Hello and welcome to the Timepieces History Podcast. This season is about all things Rome and today in episode 2 we're looking at Roman baths. Don't forget you can find the show notes from today's show at goodrumlorette.com forward slash podcast along with the transcripts and useful links and you don't need to leave me an email address for those. Please leave me a comment on whichever player you're listening to this on or tweet me at goodrumlorette. Probably the most famous Roman baths or thermae are those in the southern city of Bath. Although I'd like to point out there is also one at Segedunum, and we'll be exploring that later on in the season. A temple in Bath was constructed early in the days of the occupation of Britain, and the town of Aquisulis sprung up around it. Thermae, from the Greek word for hot, were common in cities and towns across the empire. They were large buildings and used for public bathing. Smaller private bathhouses were known as balne, from the Greek balinium, bathing place, and these were even more common. The site in Bath is remarkably well preserved and was only rediscovered at the end of the 19th century. As most of it is underground, it's a lot larger than it looks. It's dedicated to the goddess Sulis Minerva, which is why the Romans called the town Aque Sulis, Waters of Sulis. She was a mother goddess, honoured for both her life-giving qualities and her ability to curse people. Bathhouses were features of forts and private homes, with water coming from a nearby source, as at Segedunum, or from an aqueduct if in an urban area. Once heated over a fire, the water would be sent to the hot room, the caldarium. As well as washing, the bathhouses are important as meeting spaces, reading rooms and for socialising. Bathing played a significant part in the ancient cultures of the Egyptians and Greeks too, but it is the Roman examples that tell us the most. The Romans built five imperial thermae, including Trajan's baths and the baths of Domitian. Many bathhouses were designed round a central garden with the bathing blocks either within the garden or at the rear of the complex. As well as club rooms and courts, there were three large chambers for the caldarium, the tepidarium and the frigidarium, and underground tunnels allowed the slaves to move around unseen. Vaulted roofs were common with windows built in. Floors and walls often were marble and doors were liberally covered in gilt. There was a whole process to be followed at the bathhouse. After undressing in the, this is another tricky word, apoditarium, it's probably not right, a visitor would be anointed with oil. Next, they performed vigorous exercise and then went to sweat it out in the hot room and steam room, which was known as the laconium. In the latter, they would have been scraped clean of sweat and oil before being sent to the warm room. They finished off with a dip in the cold room pool and more oiling. Unsurprisingly, the process was a long one, which is why many Romans made sure they had their dinners at the baths, inviting guests or business partners to join them. Another important feature was the library, which allowed ordinary people access to literature and works of non-fiction. In Roman times, bathhouses would have been visited several times a week by most people, and it wasn't a practice reserved only for the upper classes. Entry to Thermae was low, so that nobody was included. The Diocletian baths covered several city blocks and could accommodate 3,000 people. Most had separate entrances for men, women and slaves, and solid walls separated the washrooms. A key feature of the thermae was the palestra, or courtyard, which was an exercise space in the open air. Romances as well as business deals were conducted at the baths' houses, so the palestra would have made an ideal meeting place. 
The space provided for women was considerably smaller than the corresponding balne for the menfolk and featured changing rooms, cold bath and tepidarium. The servants would not have used the same baths as their masters and were there for work, not relaxation. The wealthiest visitors would have been attended by their capsarius, whose job it was to carry in the oils, towels and strigils, that was the scraping tool for removing the dirt and sweat. While the master bathed, the capsarius would have the tedious job of guarding his possessions in case a pickpocket or thief tried to steal them. Back in Bath, the bathhouse sits alongside the Temple of Minerva, suggesting that visitors prayed as well as bathed, and may have even witnessed the sacrifices led by Sulis priests, or perhaps priestesses. Temples weren't common, but they did feature at some of the Thermae sites. Evidence has been found at Bath of several curses that were written out on behalf of the visitors, suggesting that cursing was just as important as bathing. The Great Bath at Bath is the focal point, and would have once had a barrel vaulted hall rising 20 metres above the bathers. The hot springs are a natural occurrence which still well up today. The smaller east baths sit to one side, and changing rooms, plunge pools and saunas are all within easy reach. Thank you for listening. Please tune in next time and let me know what you think of today's episode as well. Thank you for listening to the Time Pieces History Podcast. Don't forget to listen next time for more quick history facts.